Blog Talk Radio. Wisconsin, 35-17, and Alabama is number two in both the major polls this week. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, and Thomas Watts in the studio of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. He's our producer, and we have William Redfish Barger joining us in about five minutes in hour one, and in hour two, we'll be hearing from Kelly Ward, sports editor of the Crimson White, a first-time guest that we look forward to having her share her insights not only on the game in Dallas, but also on an excellent article she wrote recently about Nick Saban's cooperation in recruiting and aiding the other sports at the University of Alabama. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show, the appetizer is SeatGeek, brought to you by Thomas Watts. Yes, SeatGeek is an iOS or Android app which you can use to find tickets to Alabama football games. With big games looming against Ole Miss and Georgia, SeatGeek is the place to go for deals. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. When you're ready to buy tickets to the big game, just grab a deal on your phone with a couple of taps of your app. There really is no better way to find Bama football tickets. You know, If you're like me and you're a techno, you know, techno wizard, you want to know how this works, and it's this technology called Deal Score. It calculates what every ticket is in the building is worth and whether whatever the seller's price is is a good deal or a bad deal. Like we always say on BAMS Radio, if it's green, it's good, and if it's red, it's dead. Make sure to download the SeatGeek app on your iOS or Android device, or if you don't want to use that, you can take a look at their website, SeatGeek.com, for all of your Crimson Tide ticketing needs. Take it away, Carrie. Well, I'm glad to know that SeatGeek aggregates because when it comes to tickets, Thomas and Drew, it's much better to aggregate than aggravate. All right, back to the show. We are going to talk first because uh, the other two gentlemen on this broadcast, who are not me, both were in Dallas and both got to observe in person Alabama's 35-17 dismantling of the uh, Wisconsin football squad. We came in ranked 20th. That's no more the case, but... Alabama went from 3-2 to two this week, but they did it on the strength of a game that was uh, really, the total yardage was like 502 to 268. Derrick Henry got Offensive Player of the Week in the conference and the nation. Uh, it, it was it was really a, a beat town in D-town. Uh, and, and you guys, starting with Drew, uh, go ahead and give your initial observations of the win. Well, I, you know, I thought it was a B plus. I thought they played well. Um, I thought it was a really it was a good football game for about a half, which is 
you know, and I thought it would be a four-quarter game. Uh, it wasn't quite that. Uh, Alabama took control in the third quarter. Uh, like I asked Coach Saban after the game, uh, what was the key to – and, I, you know, what did you do defensively as far as adjusting to uh, take away the passes and the flats and kind of – they kind of suffocated uh, like a boa constrictor at uh, Wisconsin in the second half. And he gave a, a very interesting answer. He just said they have certain ways where they can – and certain things they can do and uh, and adjustments they can make. And, and they did. They were able to adjust. They got the linebackers out in the flats. They did a better job of taking away the short game. Uh, Wisconsin uh, – Austin Erickson's a very good receiver, uh, but they weren't able to make vertical plays. And Alabama got a couple pass interferences uh, by, you know, of course, Marlon Humphrey and Minka Fitzpatrick. But I think that was more just inexperience. When they get better, get more confidence, they'll use better technique and make the play. Uh, and then, of course, I thought the one on Sean Deon Hamilton was a bad call. But overall, I, you know, I thought they played well. Uh, you know, I, the, the defensive line did their job. Uh, Wisconsin had 41 yards on, or excuse me, 40 yards on 21 carries, and really got 25 of that against the second team on an end around. So they they shut down Clement, uh, and then he went out injured, kind of like he did his no Sean Marino kind of situation. Uh, he'd had enough pretty much. Uh, Alabama had taken him away, uh, and, and then offensively, uh, pleasantly surprised by Jake Coker's performance. Very efficient. Uh, did not turn the football over. 15 of 21. Uh, I thought he had one sack that was on him. Otherwise, you know, he was he was under siege early. I think the pass protection was a little shaky. I think there was some miscommunication with Cam Robinson and Rosh Piersbacher, and Cam basically said that after the game. But they settled down. And then, of course, run blocking. They were as dominant as we were expecting. I wanted 250-yard rush, and they got 238. Uh, Derrick Henry ran with uh, a new zeal and passion from the standpoint of inside. I thought he thumped it really well and ran physically. He knocked Michael Caputo out in the first quarter, and pretty much that was all she wrote because he was the heart of Wisconsin's defense. And, Thomas, uh, Drew saw the game from the press box. You saw it from the stands at, at uh, Jimmy World. Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, I think a lot of what Drew saw, I also saw. I think that Alabama is getting back to running the football behind power sets. Um, the Derrick Henry 50 six-yard touchdown play was, to me, the prettiest play of the night. Um, excellent, excellent play design, excellent call, excellent execution. And those are the kind of plays with Derrick Henry running with power that Alabama could really, it could really become their bread and butter. It is so encouraging because Alabama's going to have to fight through some really good defensive lines to see not only the return of the power game and a high level of execution, but the fact that Derrick Henry is able to start delivering punishment and falling forward more often than not. One of the criticisms of the guy, and it was a little overblown, was that he didn't always run with a ton of power, but he was trucking people last Saturday. I think that the defense was excellent against pro-style offenses like Wisconsin's. I think you have to feel good as an Alabama fan against the Arkansas and the LSUs and the Georgias of the world. Though Georgia might do a little more spread principle behind Schottenheimer. What's going to be really interesting this week is how the defense responds to a spread look. I understand that Middle Tennessee State is not Ole Miss, is not Texas A&M. They are not that in terms of talent. But what I'm looking for is, does this defense that was so good against pro schemes, does it translate to spread schemes? Because with Ole Miss coming to town, that's really the last piece. 
if Alabama is able to fairly effectively shut down MTSU, and when I say shut down, I mean keep the number of free receivers to a minimum. You know, if they're if they're running all over the place and MTSU just can't complete it, that's a big problem. But if guys are staying close, then you have to feel good with that going forward. All in all, it was exactly what I expected from the Alabama team, and I'm encouraged going forward. I just want to see how the defense responds to a spread attack, Kerry. And Drew, uh, we'll give Thomas time to uh, procure our first guest. But Drew, Aaron Suttles of the Tuscaloosa News has accurately tweeted since his uh, perfect start to the 2014 season by making his first seven field goals, Adam Griffith, who went over two Saturday, has converted just 36% of his tries. We talked about it last week on the show, his quote saying that he didn't feel like he was 100% yet. Uh, I've got to say, Drew, that the place kicking has to be a concern. Oh, no doubt. Um, you know, I, the first kick was right coming right at me. I mean, as soon as he made the pass, I knew it was no good. The second, honestly, I thought it was going to break right down the middle, uh, but it stopped breaking and then was wide. Uh, it's it's and it was wide, but you know, I, he has the leg strength. Uh, his technique looks solid, but eventually you have to start kicking them through the uprights. And uh, I hate to say this, but it may start. And Coach Saban has even referenced it before. It may start. It may be a mental thing. It may start to become a mental thing for him, and and it's sad because I, everyone's rooting for him. Everyone knows his story. Everyone wants him to do well. He was tremendous in high school. I thought he would be really good at Alabama. I thought there was a chance he would be, you know, a four-year guy. And Kate Foster would specialize in kicking off. And I think that was the first red flag when he didn't beat out Cade right away. And I just think honestly, uh, he missed both of those. Uh, you know, uh, people have been asking me. Uh, I do think. You know, and trust me, hopefully they won't have to kick over one or two Saturday against Middle Tennessee. Otherwise, Coach Saban will have a coronary. But hopefully he can make a kick or two Saturday and get some confidence going because otherwise it's going to start to be mental if it hasn't already. And, again, if that happens, uh, they're going to need those six points eventually. Gunnar Rayburn's situation, he he doesn't have great leg strength. uh, But, you know, I think from 40 and in, you know, I would give him a shot, and uh, if this continues, then I think Rayburn will be the guy. But hopefully Griffith can uh, snap out of this because it looked like he had it at the beginning of last year, and then he went kind of back into the tank. So it's just a very, very – I think the, coming out of the football game, it's, it was my biggest concern is the place kicking without question. Well said. And, Drew, I'll go ahead and let you introduce our first guest of the night on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check him out at BigHeadsBBQ.net. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, he's someone that I've worked very closely with over the last several years uh, when I was previously with AlabamaIntel.com, but he's as connected as anyone, one of the best insiders when it comes to Alabama football. And, of course, he played at the University of Alabama from 89 to 93 and was a member of the 92 National Championship team. But it's an honor, once again, to welcome to BAMS Radio, William Redfish Barger. William, how are you? Drew, Terry, I'm doing great. How about y'all? Doing pretty well, man. And Thank you for joining us again, and I know I've gotten some reaction from you since this past weekend, and I know uh, you were pretty excited about how the team played because I know you've always liked uh, the, the, the the physicality that Saban's team's played with, especially early in his tenure. And I know you liked the style of football you saw with a lot of the ace formations and the power running game, and you always talked about Derrick Henry being a freak when he signed with Alabama, and we, 
we kind of saw a little bit of what he might be capable of on Saturday. Yeah, before we get going, uh, I'm actually sitting out on the my covered porch right now. And if y'all hear some fireworks in the background, I'm not shooting off fireworks. I'm not at a, a gun range. We've got a pretty nasty thunderstorm rolling to Birmingham right now. So uh, if there's some noise in the background, I just wanted to give y'all a heads up on what it was. But, um, but yeah, I, I am excited. Um, the, the team performed – um, you know, in certain areas beyond my expectations based on the practices that I saw there in August. Um, you know, I thought the, the offensive line, uh, from a run blocking standpoint, um, you know, did a fantastic job. Um, you know, you, you saw the, the comments in the spring and over the summer where they wanted to get back to the, you know, the physicality that they were no, known for from, you know, 2008 to 2012. And I think that was certainly evident, you know, Saturday night. And I think, you know, a lot of people are trying to discount what they were able to do, you know, against a a Big Ten, you know, Wisconsin defense. But I think this is a pretty interesting statistic. You know, in the last four years under Dave Arunda, they have finished no lower than seventh in the country in the top four defensive categories, you know, scoring D, total D, rush D, passing D. Um, and obviously, you know, they had some departures from last year, but, you know, that's been a consistent product that they've put on the field. You know, Alabama, you know, was able to break their spirit, um, you know, about three-quarters of the way through the third quarter. And, uh, you know, I, I thought they did a, a phenomenal job up front with them. Um, you know, some, some people, there's been some Internet chatter since the game, you know, people wondering, you know, what's wrong with Cam Robinson. You know, you know, two of the plays that have been attributed to Cam um, as being sacks that he gave up were not his fault at all. Um, if you go back and look at the way Cam set up with a heavy outside set, um, he was expecting inside help and coverage from Ross Pierce-Bocker, um, and that was not there. And, you know, that's that's not something to be alarmed about. You know, that's a first-time starter um, in Ross Pierce-Bocker. Um, you know, a new guy, um, obviously, you know, Cam played next year, I mean, last year next to Ari Kwanjo. So those are communication issues that will get cleaned up, not technique or ability issues. Um, you know, the biggest question mark in my mind going into the season um, was going to be how Dominic Jackson held up in pass pro. And, you know, certainly that wasn't, you know, Derek Barnett or Miles Garrett or Carl Lawson that he was lined up across from um, Saturday night. But, you know, he didn't give up any pressures. Um, he was a nightmare run blocking people. Um, you know, I thought Jacob Coker um, exceeded my expectations for what I thought he could do um, at the quarterback position. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have, have said, you know, he was an efficient game manager, but. You know, I think when you throw for 200-plus yards and no interceptions, um, that goes beyond being a game manager. Um, You know, certainly um, I think the the two sacks that he took were more his fault than the O-line's fault. He should have gotten rid of the ball. But, you know, I would much rather him take sacks than, you know, fling the ball into triple coverage down the field. Um, So, you know, from an offensive standpoint, you know, you talk about Derrick Henry. Um, I thought he did a great job. I thought Lane Kiffin probably had 
in my opinion, his best game plan that I've seen out of him um, is the offensive coordinator at Alabama. I mean, he dialed up stuff that Jake Coker was comfortable with. You know, he accented what Derrick Henry is good at, what Kenyon Drake is good at. Um, there was a ton of ball distribution to the wide receivers and tight ends. And, you know, you, you flip over to the other side of the ball. Um, when you hold a, a program that is average rushing for 300 yards, you know, for the last decade, basically, um, to 40 yards rushing, uh, that that's phenomenal. You know, some people are going to want to, you know, be critical and, and critique the, you know, the pass defense. I still thought there were positive steps taken there. Um, I think their longest play that they gave up from the line of scrimmage was 20 yards. Um, there were no deep balls played. Um, so, all in all, and I heard what you were saying, Drew, you know, coming off of the, the intro there about, you know, the, the place kicker, you know, in my mind, that was the only negative um, that I walked away from the game with was, you know, w- you know whether he's hurt, whether it's Cooper Bateman being the holder and not spinning the laces the right way. Um, you know, I think I saw a statistic where, you know, now Adam Griffin is, is 12 of 26 in his career. Um, that's not good. And I think that's something that has to be addressed, you know, in a hurry because, you know, those six points that were left out on the field Saturday night, um, when you get deep into that stretch run of, you know, Georgia, uh, Arkansas, uh, Texas A&M, Tennessee, I think those are six points that that team's going to need. William, uh, all, all great points. And uh, first off, thank you for clarifying about the thunderstorm because uh, I really didn't want to be the person to have to ask you if you'd moved over by Legion Field. But uh, <laughs> Getting back to the game, uh, I felt like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because this is kind of a running joke that's been going on for the last couple of years between Mark Baldwin and me, but I felt like O.J. Howard showed some pretty dramatic improvement in his blocking and also in the fact that he is now starting to show, based on three catches in one game, we only had 17 all year last year, that he can actually be more of a factor in the passing game as well as the running game. Did you see some improvements from that young man in both aspects of his game? No, that's a great point, Kerry. And, you know, that, that same pass, um, you know, that he caught, and, you know, I think the, the turf monster jumped up and grabbed his feet and tripped him up. I really thought that was a an explosive play that, that could have gone for a lot bigger yardage than it actually did. Um, and I think, you know, you're, you're looking at a guy, and, and I think you have to put this into perspective. You know, O.J., came from a private school program. Um, and let's just take the private school label off of it and call it a small school program. Um, you know, he's three years into college football. He looked a lot more comfortable and fluid out there, like you said, not only as a receiver but also as a, as a blocker. Um, and, you know, I equate it to a guy that, that played very well um, on the other side of the ball for Alabama that's, you know, in his fourth year in the program, Darren Lake. Um, who also played, you know, rural small school football. And I think it's taken him some time um, to get comfortable with the speed of the game at the SEC level versus playing at, you know, Sumter County High School. Um, but, you know, O.J.'s a, a dynamic athlete. He's six foot six, 245 pounds. He's a, a legit 4'5 guy. Um, but when you 
start getting into the, you know, the 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 inner workings of that game plan Saturday, you know, I felt like that 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 scene pass that you know Jake, you know, faked the zone read to uh, to Henry. Henry picked up the blitz. Um, you know, he delivered the ball to OJ, and he had some other wide receiver targets that were kind of open underneath as well. Um, I think that kind of shed some light onto the, the offensive, you know, genius of Lane Kiffin. You can't dial up a better designed play for that down and distance where that offense was on the field at that time. And uh, that's some great points. And I really thought OJ took, you know, made some strides. I thought he got off to a slow start blocking, but he really picked it up. Uh, as Murph Baldwin wrote in his story, great kick out block on the 56 yard touchdown for, uh, Derrick Henry uh, in the second half to really ice the game. Uh, and William, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, as far as Jake Coker. Uh, you know, he I thought he was uh, he surpassed my expectations as well. Really, uh, was I thought he was uh, he he only held the ball to uh, you know, a couple of times. I thought uh, I thought he got rid of it. I thought he was his relief was quick. His accuracy for the most part was much better. Um, you know, the deep ball will come in time. I think he struggled with the deep ball a little bit. But uh, I, you know, I, I was impressed with the way he performed. And, and speaking of his targets, I, he didn't get a chance to to make it too many plays. But it looked like he was open all night. I do think it's flown under the radar. We've talked about him and how we feel like he's going to be a bigger impact guy than anyone could have ever imagined. But I'm really excited about how Richard Mullaney could be fitting into the plans as the year goes on. Yeah, and you know, one of the you know, it's kind of a compliment to, to Mulvaney. Um, you know, one of the worst passes that I saw, you know, Coker throw that was actually completed was, you know, that, that little, I call it a wheel route, even though it wasn't a running back out of the backfield that, that Jay completed um, to Mulraney. He threw it behind him, and, and Mulraney was athletic enough to catch it over his inside shoulder, kind of spun him around the wrong way. And he was able to come down with the catch and pick up some yards after the catch. Uh, but, you know, you go back and you watch the game, um, you know, that, that, that deep pass to Calvin Ridley was, you know, millimeters from being a, a big play. Um, you know, the, the, the pass to Ardarius Stewart um, was not a bad pass. You know, I, I was very impressed with the way um, not only he performed when he was asked to make a play, but, you know, the way he managed the game, the way he got the team, you know, up to the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, put him in the right play. Um, and I know he wasn't asked to do a lot. And then when your offensive line and your running game can, you know, make the other team quit the way that they made Wisconsin quit, that makes Jake Coker's job, um, you know, that much easier. But, you know, you, you saw the same thing, uh, you know, when Cooper Bateman came in. You know, he, 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 you know, I think had six or seven completions on seven or eight attempts. Um, you know, he didn't do anything. Um, you know, to, to cause the team harm. Um, you had a touchdown drive, you know, with that great run that this Drake made. Um, so I thought both quarterbacks performed very well. And, uh, you know, they've got a ton of weapons at their disposal when you look at Henry and Drake and Ardarius Stewart and Calvin Ridley, um, you know, certainly Robert Foster and, and Mulray that we've talked about. Um, you know, I think Mulraney is, is a guy that is, you know, whatever his catch um, rating is, is, 
Um, you know, I don't have the schematics on it, but if you put the ball anywhere near him, if he's got an opportunity to catch it, he's going to come down with it. And, uh, you know, you know, you saw one scrimmage, I saw the other, Drew, and Terry. Um, and, you know, we all heard the same whisper comments of, you know, post-scrimmage the two weeks afterwards leading up to the Wisconsin game. Um, you know, where there were the whispers that, you know, Coker and, and Bateman had kind of separated themselves from, from Morris and Barnett. And I think you saw that, you know, come to fruition Saturday night. Um, and, again, I, I had no clue because, um, you know, in those scrimmage environments that we get to see with the black jerseys on the quarterbacks, you don't really get to see the, the athleticism that they may or may not have. And, you know, that one time that Cooper Bateman, you know, he may have bailed out and took off a little quicker than he should have. But, man, he, he got from, you know, point A, seven yards deep into the backfield and, and picked up seven or eight yards pretty quickly. William, I know that uh, back in your playing days you were a guard, but you played with some, some pretty good centers. It, it seemed to me that maybe Saturday night may have been Ryan Kelly's best game in Alabama. Or it's definitely top two or three. Uh, what were your impressions of him? Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at the the, the, the film, Kerry, you know, Ryan is, is never going to be a guy. I mean, I almost like to call him Barrett Jones 2.0. Um, you know, now that he's gotten his weight up around 300 pounds, I think he might even be a little bit better than Barrett was as a guy that can generate power at the point of attack if he's covered up by a nose guard or a defensive tackle. But, man, you know, you know, you brought up the good old days. Um, you know, I played with two centers and Roger Schultz and Toby Shields that they were kind of the same animal. Um, you know, they weren't going to, you know, knock Willie White or Robert Stewart off the ball. But, you know, if you helped them out and chipped and, and executed the scoop block and took over that nose guard, you know, they could get up on a linebacker and, and cover them up with a hat on a hat before they knew what was going on. And on all of those big explosive run plays, you saw Ryan Kelly um, up on the second level sealing off a linebacker that, that allowed those running backs to really, um, you know, have, have explosive plays and, and have some productivity. You know, Ryan's been in the program now for five years. He's a Remington candidate. He's worked really hard. He's a prototypical, you know, hard gainer. You know, that's a label that you put on people that, that have, you know, trouble adding strength and size. Um, I think he's finally gotten over the hump with that. But, you know, he knows that playbook back, in, you know, from, from beginning to end. Um, he's gotten a lot of quality reps over the last couple of years in, in SEC football. And, you know, I think he's a guy that you're going to see, um, you know, not only as one of the leaders of this team, but a guy whose performance, like you saw Saturday night, I expect that to continue, um, you know, even once they get into the SEC schedule and they start playing, you know, defensive lines at Ole Miss and Tennessee and, you know, some of the other top front sevens in the conference. And then, obviously, William, to piggyback on the offensive line, uh, it was a spirited battle in fall camp between Shank Taylor and Bradley Bozeman that Shank has won at this time. But I really thought the right side of the line, you've already talked about how well Dominic played and uh, you didn't notice him and, uh, and that's because I think he did play so well uh, I didn't hear much talk about him uh, which means he did his job but Shank Taylor also played pretty well I think and I think Bozeman will be very valuable but just kind of talk about Shank's development because 
he obviously uh, has improved greatly from uh, last year to now. Yeah, and I think that's something to kind of keep your eye on going forward. I haven't had this confirmed yet, but I but I've heard some whispers of it that maybe the staff is going to try and and you know get past an hour's red shirt back this year. Um, you know, you saw when they went second team, um, you know, in the fourth quarter that Bozeman went to center. Um, and I think that's a, a another you know really good thing for this team going forward. You know, you've got guys. You know, like Ross Pierce, Bacher, and and you know Bradley Bozeman, that can play multiple positions along that line, and uh, you know the competition is going to make them only better. Um, you know, Shank did very well for himself Saturday night. Um, you know, I think when you look at you know having a Remington candidate to his left and, and Ryan Kelly and a you know just an absolute road grader to his right at right tackle and Dominic Jackson. I mean, I still want to see, you know, Dominic, you know, lock some people out and, and, you know, excel versus some elite, you know, speed edge rushers in the SEC. Um, I still think that's a hurdle that he has to get past. But, you know, I, you know Alphonse Taylor beat Bradley Bozeman out straight up. Um, you know, I think he was kind of, a, you know, a little bit injured in the spring and it didn't get a chance to, to really pursue that job. Uh, but he was healthy this summer, and, you know, he he, he took him down. And, uh, you know, that's not a, a slight in my mind to Bradley Bozeman. You know, that's another guy that, you know, filled in for Ryan Kelly at center last year and then played at a high level. Um, you know, that's a good thing. You know, you want – I think if people will, will hit the rewind button, um, you know, back to 2011, you know, just, just remember how valuable Alfred McCullough you know, was to that offense in 2011. You know, you might look out there one week and see him playing center. You might see him playing guard. And then you might see him at right tackle, the, you know, two weeks later. So, you know, developing that depth, and I think that's something that, you know, Mario Cristobal has done a, a great job of and is going to continue to do so with, you know, the guys that he continues to bring in at that position. Um, you know, they're all physical. They're all smart. They're all good citizens, and, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, something. One of the best moments for me in the game, um, you know, I was up at my parents' house in Nashville, Tennessee, watching the game, and my dad made the comment um, when, when Wisconsin scored the touchdown with four minutes left to go in the game. He goes, you know, <laughs> if this had been two years ago and, and the Alabama defense gave up a cheap seven points like that, you know, with very little time left to go in the fourth quarter, we'd have had to send you to your room to watch the rest of the game in your room. And, you know, I don't know what that says about me as a son saying I'm, you know, 44 years old, but it is what it is. And, you know, I told my dad, I said, you know what, uh, seeing the second-team quarterback get a full quarter of reps versus a quality opponent, um, you know, the second and third-team guys, you know, up front on both sides of the ball, uh, getting quality reps. I'll take a cheap seven points every week going forward throughout this whole season. Nick, you know, that, that's, that's, that was the positive for me Saturday night is I saw some evidence that, you know, Nick has, has changed and, and is evolving as a head coach with some of his principles and philosophies. And, you know, getting Cooper Bateman a solid, you know, quarter of reps um, is only going to make this team stronger and deeper, you know, once they get into the meat of that SEC schedule. 
William, we've got a little bit of a format change uh, that started tonight where we're going to have to take a very quick break, less than a minute. We're going to ask you to hang with us while we hear about DraftKings from our good friend Murph Baldwin doing his best James Ingram. Because last football season, DraftKings.com crowned more millionaires than any other one-week fantasy sports site anywhere. And this season, the prizes are even bigger. You can start the season by winning $2 million in week one. Kicker for this is, there's no season-long commitment that comes with traditional fantasy leagues either. It's simply the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million in prizes are up for grab with $2 million going to the first place winner and $1 million to the runner-up. Now this is how it should be. You can play when you want, where you want, and with the players you want. Just pick up your players, pile up the points, and get to collecting on some cash. Get on over to DraftKings now and use the promo code BAMA to play for a free shot at the $2 million top prize in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. That's DraftKings.com, you hear me? DraftKings.com. I'll tell you what, I don't know if Murph is selling fantasy football or some other kind of fantasy there, but that is one awesome commercial. Back now with uh, on BAMS Radio uh, with Drew DeArmond of 977 Zone, Thomas Watts of Touchdown uh, Magazine. I'm Kerry Clark from BAMAMag.com, and we are joined by William Redfish Barger on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check them out at BigHeadsBBQ.net for all your catering needs. And uh, actually, Big Head himself is going to join us on BAMS next week to talk about the spread he's going to put out at the Bama's radio tent for the Ole Miss game. But getting back to uh, recapping the Wisconsin game, uh, William, were you as uh, – I said on Twitter that uh, because of the kicking game situation with both young men that Pilates in general took a big hit in Arlington Saturday night. But I was really more shocked by J.K. Scott. I, I know he'll shake it off and probably kick for 55 in the next game, but – were you as surprised as I was, William, that particularly with the shank, but with his overall inconsistency? Uh, yes and no, Kerry. I mean, I saw him, you know, struggle a little bit at some of the practices that I went to, you know, back in August. Um, he, you know, just didn't look like the same guy that you saw last year. I mean, you know, hopefully we're not having the same conversation in mid-October talking about the, the dreaded sophomore slump, but you know, I think everybody would agree, you know, we've all seen that guy perform at such a high level. Um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not ready to hit the panic button on that at all. Um, you know, it could be, you know, playing in the Dome, um, even though he did it, you know, in the Georgia Dome and, and uh, you know, the, the, the Sugar Bowl. Um, maybe that had an impact on him. I don't know if that you know, the world's largest jumbotron hanging down from midfield had an impact on him or not. But, you know, I'm not ready to hit the panic button on J.K. Scott. Now, I am officially ready to hit the panic button on uh, the field goal kicker. Um, you know, I know he's been hurt. Um, you know, I, I don't – I've never been a, a special teams guy other than long snapping in high school. But, you know, that that is an issue, like we talked about earlier. You know, those six points that were left out on the field – um, you know, on the road at A&M, uh, you know, on the road at Georgia, on the road at Auburn, I think that's, you know, if that is not corrected, um, that, that could become an issue. And, you know, I don't know if he's still having issues, um, you know, with his back or not. Um, but that that is something to pay attention to. I thought that was the only, you know, negative that I walked away from the game with. 
Um, you know, I know there's a lot of Alabama fans out there that are still complaining about the pass rush, um, that, that still think the DBs gave up, uh, you know, too many passing yards. But but I want, them to, I want the listeners to put it in perspective like this. You know, at halftime, uh, you know, Kirby and Nick went around to, you know, the what I call the Rabbits, um, Rashawn Evans, DJ Pantway, Tim Williams, Christian Miller, and they told them point blank, you know, hey, uh, you know, the, the base package, the heavy package, whatever label you want to put on it, is working and it's working really well, and we're going to stick with it. You know, you guys will play more next week versus MTSU and, you know, obviously the following week versus Old Miss. Um, and, you know, I, I really don't have a problem with what I saw out of the DBs. You know, you didn't see anybody, you know, running 40 yards down the field wide open, you know, where a go pattern was, was there for the taking. Um, you know, Marlon Humphrey, um, you know, got a couple of calls against him that, you know, they were legit calls, but, I, you know, I've got no issue, um, you know, with him mugging somebody and, and trying to cover him and, and you know, still being immature and not turning his head. Um, you know, I think Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be a lethal weapon um, halfway through the season as a blitz guy coming off the edge. You know, you saw him creeping up in the box and, you know, lining up an inside linebacker and dropping into coverage. Um, you know, I think he had, you know, five tackles and two or three pass breakups in his first collegiate game. Um you know, the, the couple of times that they did try and target Cyrus Jones, it was a mistake for him. So I saw positives. You know, I didn't see, you know, Kirby Smart having a nervous breakdown on the sideline five seconds before the ball was snapped. It looked like the communication was good. Um, you know, you saw a true freshman, Darren Payne, um, you know, pushing Wisconsin's, uh, you know, talented center back into the backfield and, and getting credited with a couple of tackles. Um, it didn't look like the, with the rotation that they had in place, you know, with the front seven, you never saw those guys, you know, with their hands on their hips and looking tired. Um, you know, it was great to see, um, even though he struggled a little bit with, with getting out there and, and covering the running backs and they would release them into the passing game. You saw Ruben Foster making plays. So I just saw a lot of positives. Um, out of a defense that I think, you know, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and uh, Mel Tucker are are kind of in the process of transitioning um, and coming up with some new communication um, principles and some new uh, philosophies over on that side of the ball. I thought it was all good stuff. And then as far as to expand on the D-line, William, uh, Go into a little bit more detail about Deron Payne. Obviously, he's transformed his body and really improved a lot. He didn't have the greatest of senior seasons, but he's he's made a huge impact already. And then talk about the games that Dalvin Tomlinson had. I thought he was huge in the second half with the three breakups. And, of course, Jonathan Allen, who, in my opinion, if he plays at that level the rest of the year, uh, as you've already stated, he may very well, uh, you know, this may be his last in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of intriguing when you look at, you know, Jaron Reed, Nashawn Robinson. I think both of them, you know, best-case scenario, they're probably guys that could be drafted 15 to 25 in the first round. Worst-case scenario, they go, you know, in the first 10 picks in the second round. You know, their production and their careers last year, um, you know, speak for themselves. Um, and, again, you know, you look at – 
you know, people complaining about, well, here we go again, we don't have a pass rush. Well, sacks don't always tell the whole story with affecting the quarterback. And you already touched on it, you know, with Dalvin Tomlinson uh, batting three passes down. You, know, you look at the number of times that the Wisconsin quarterback was hit. Um, you know, that affects the quarterback. You know, that makes them have, you know, you know their, their eyes go out through their ear holes and if they could, through the back of their head. Um, and I think that's one thing that the average fan doesn't understand. Um, and then one thing that, you know, y'all's buddy Mark Baldwin does a great job of. I mean, I've gotten to the point in the last year that, you know, I hit refresh and do a Google search on anything that Mark puts out because he, he focuses on where football games are won and lost, and that's the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. But, you know, you know, get a quarterback to put a GoPro camera on top of their head um, in the shotgun, and you watch what it's like for those guys to have four or five, you know, 280, 300-pound guys screaming at them at top speed, and they've got to go through a read progression. Um, not something that I want to sign up as at 18 or, you know, now 44. I mean, it's just a, a an incredible amount of uh, courage and, and ability and, and talent and, and more so mental than anything, in my opinion, for them to be successful at doing that. But, you know, going back to Darren Payne, um, and I was one of his biggest detractors. I got no trouble raising my hand and saying I'm glad I was wrong about the guy. You know, when I evaluated him, um, he was a 350-pound junior and senior that never I never saw in high school take over a football game. Um, you know, if you're a five-star player on defense along the front seven, you should have eight to ten tackles and, you know, one to three sacks every game. And I never saw that out of him. Well, I never got to see him or evaluate him as a, as a 315-pound guy. And, uh, you know, I think he's got the ability. It didn't take him long to blow past Joshua Frazier. Um, I think, you know, his presence has caused Darren Lake to, to up his game um, to the next level, you know, combined with the fact that I just thought, you know, coming from that small school environment, it just took, it just took uh, you know, Lake that long to get comfortable and, and, and become fluid with this level of play. But, you know, I looked out there, I think it was, you know, 12, 11, 10 minutes left to go in the first quarter. And, and you know, Deron Payne was out there, you know, playing, you know, nose guard for the University of Alabama as a true freshman. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, people, you know, because it's a sore subject. But, you know, that's why Nick Saban took a chance on a guy with a checkered past in Jonathan Taylor. They wanted to bring somebody in, and they didn't know that, that you know, Payne was going to be that guy and, and to push for a starting position as a true freshman. They saw the same things out of him that I did coming out of high school. But that's why they took a chance on Jonathan Taylor is – they knew that they were going to play Wisconsin and Georgia and Arkansas, LSU and Auburn, and they needed somebody that could hold the point of attack at the zero technique at nose that would allow them to keep Reed and Robinson at defensive end. And, you know, that, that, that wasn't a luxury for them last year with, with the way Ivory and, and Lake played. They, they had that, you know, shift Reed and Robinson down inside. Um, you know, having having Lake playing the way he's playing, having Payne coming in, you know, that gives them the luxury of having two, you know, 
one of them six five, the other one six three, three hundred pounders that can run, you know, at the five technique, the defensive end, and that's why they were able to shut Wisconsin down rushing the football is because of the elevated play of Darren Lake and Darren Payne at the nose guard spot. William, uh, talking about another true freshman, he did not get the amount of snaps that some of the guys like maybe Mika Fitzpatrick and all got. But because of the fact that, and, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but because of the fact that I don't think Ross Pierce-Barker played a, a great game compared to some of the other guys, is it possible that, that true freshman Dallas Wormack could push him as the season goes on? You know, Terry, I think the, the the better guy to maybe have that conversation with as far as Ross is concerned. Now, he struggled, but what I saw him struggle with was in pass protection. Uh, we mentioned the two plays that he beat bailed on, on Cam on. I, I think maybe other than, you know, Dallas Warmack, maybe you consider if, if, if Alphonse Taylor continues to play at a high level at right guard, Maybe a proven commodity in Bradley Bozeman um, is somebody that you factor in over there behind Ross if he struggles. But, you know, run blocking, he did not struggle. And, you know, I, I can speak from experience. You know, I, I started the, the last five games of my redshirt freshman year. And, you know, there's a big difference in going out there, you know, every day in practice or going to a scrimmage at Bryant Denny Stadium and stepping out there on that big stage. I mean, you know, the the proverbial rear end puckers up and, you know, people get nervous and, you know, the, the mind tends to, uh, you know, fade on you and, and you just react versus doing what you're supposed to do and executing plays. Um, you know, I would say a, a fair assessment of what I saw out of Ross Saturday night was he struggled. Um, with, with, with plays and space um, on some of the screens and some of the pass pro stuff. But he was pretty effective. If you go back and look at those um, plays where, you know, Ryan Kelly was able to get up at the second level, you know, Ross executed in the run blocking phase. And I think, you know, with this team, um, you know, with the strong defense, with, with the uh, um, assurance that, you know, J.K. Scott's going to come around and flip the field, um, and, you know, I've had the old miss game circled on my schedule um, for a couple of different reasons for six months now. Um, you know, last year, you know, Alabama rushed for 170 yards on Ole Miss without even really committing to the ground game. And I, I'll always go to my grave and think that, you know, Kenyon Drake snapping his leg, you know, not only had an impact on the rest of the kids, um, on that team, you know, seeing one of your teammates have a very traumatic injury, but I think it had an impact on Lane Kiffin as well. And if they can get that same run production against Ole Miss, I'm talking about the offensive line and the running backs, you know, if they can get, you know, halfway between the 170 that they had last year and, and what they did against Wisconsin, then I don't really think it matters what the quarterback predict, position does going forward. Um, that's a very talented, very um, NFL-heavy front seven that they're going to see in two weeks. Um, and, and, again, I also have had it circled for another reason. Um, you know, I, I didn't see anything out of Coke or Saturday night that leads me to believe that, 
you know, unless he just bombs Saturday against MTSU, he's probably going to be the starter going into Ole Miss. But but the other reason beyond the ground game and the, the offensive line that I've had that circled is because I think Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin want to have a guy in place that's going to take all the reps at quarterback when they go on the road the next week to Georgia at the quarterback position. Um, so, I, you know, I really wasn't, Gary, I wasn't really answering the question. I was really not disappointed in, in Ross's performance um, Saturday night. You know, did he struggle in space um, and doing some things? Yes, he did. But I thought it was more mental errors and, and communication stuff versus not having the ability to execute when he gets where he's supposed to be. And uh, great points, William. I think Piersbacher has got a bright future. I think he'll just get better. I mean, for a first-time starter, I thought he really did a pretty nice job. I mean, it, uh, the communication issues, I think, will settle down. But I wanted to ask you uh, about, uh, because there were such high expectations for him after what he did in the preseason, but I really thought he lived up to the hype. He did get the one penalty uh, and gave up, uh, you know, was – and, and was, I don't know if he was the primary cover guy, but he was in there with the twos when they scored the touchdown, the set, the meaningless one, really. But I thought for a first game, Minka Fitzpatrick was really good. Five tackles, a sack. Uh, he, he did his Javier Arenas impersonation. I just think he's only going to get better from this point forward. And uh, same same with Marlon Humphrey. And just really excited about the future of the secondary. A guy like Tony Brown – not really consistently in the lineup, but still did a very good job on special teams. But And then watching Eddie Jackson at safety, I thought, you know, he made a couple of mistakes but had five, six tackles and, of course, the ceiling interception late. What were your thoughts overall in the secondary? You know, I, I've been in love with Mr. Fitzpatrick since I saw him, you know, in that first scrimmage um, where, where he shut, you know. And, again, he – you have to kind of put this caveat on it because that was the scrimmage when the quarterbacks were all so bad and struggled. But, you know, he shut that his side of the field down um, in his first collegiate scrimmage at Bryant-Denny Stadium that I saw and, you know, had an interception, you know, had the same, you know, pass breakups. And that was with him playing pure corner. He wasn't even the nickel in that scrimmage. Um, he's a guy that I think, you know, Drew, if you go back and you look at what he did in high school, um, there's there's film, there's highlights out there where people can go out there and watch it. Um, and I can't remember now. See, I know it was a minimum of five. It might have been six touchdowns that he had in one half of his senior year last year. Um, you know, one of them was a punt return. The other one was a pick six. But this is what I want people to focus on. The other three were as a wide receiver. And, you know, I know Nick has kind of hinted that, you know, Cyrus Jones, um, you know, may get a look at somebody that's a two-way player, you know, a la Charles Woodson. But this Minka Fitzpatrick, um, you know, and I know Nick's a little bit different than, than, than the armchair quarterback like me. He's always going to put those guys on defense. Um, you know, he reminds me so much of Bill Oliver. But I would be real, real tempted, you know, if Alabama gets some injuries at the wide receiver spot to insert Nick Fitzpatrick over there. He is one of the best true freshman college football players I've ever seen. Um, you know, not so much that he's, you know, six foot, 205, 
But for him to be able to come um, basically June 1st and absorb that, you know, playbook that Nick and Kirby incorporate, that's the, the thickness of the Metro Atlanta Yellow Pages, and get out on the field in game one and play the way that he did, you know, the sky's the limit for this kid. Um, got no nothing but good things to say um, with the way Marlon Humphrey played. Um, you know, people that want to be critical of him, you know, look, look let's be honest. The, the three most difficult positions to play at the SEC or the NFL level are left tackle, quarterback, and cornerback. And at all three of those, you've got to have somebody that has the mental makeup to understand that if you're the left tackle, you're going to get beat. You're going to probably give up a sack here and there. At quarterback, you're going to make some bad reads and you're going to make some bad throws. Or in, or in Coker's case, um, you're going to get brain freeze and take two sacks that you probably should have dumped the ball away at. But, you know, if you're a red shirt freshman playing cover corner, um, you're going to get beat. You know, but I would rather see somebody like Marlon, the way he did Saturday night, get penalties for not turning his head and, and mugging the receivers versus looking out there and seeing him five yards beat and, and Sammy Coates or Duke Williams running past him. I, mean, I, I didn't see anything like we talked about earlier on both sides of the football. You know, you can nitpick and, you know, be hypercritical of, of a lot of different stuff. You know, I. I think to a certain extent, um, you know, people are being a little bit too hard on Ross Piercebach. But I saw nothing other than the place kicker position that did not either meet or exceed my expectations for what I thought this team was going to be able to do in their first game against a quality opponent. You, you wait. Their, their schedule was – I'm talking about Wisconsin. Their schedule is so weak, it, it would not surprise me to see them back in the Big Ten championship game uh, the first week of December against Ohio State. And, you know, I wish them luck. Hopefully they can improve on the 1500 nothing game they had last year. Last question for me, William, and uh, certainly want to end on a, on a positive note because the young man I'm about to ask you about has been uh, criticized and critiqued by his coaches, his head coach and his offensive coordinator, for not being consistent enough and not bringing it every day. But from what I saw of him Saturday night, I think Mr. Robert Foster is off to a great start as a starting receiver. Well, Terry, I mean, you saw him in the 8-8 game, um, Flash. And, you know, I do think that, that he suffered, you know, his first year um, from, from homesickness and, and, you know, going a long way off to school from, from his security blanket up there at Monica Valley. Um and, you know, just because you're the number one player at your position, um, you know, look at look at how long it's taken Derrick Henry to become a, a complete player at running back. You know, it's, it's taken him almost three years to, um, you know, learn how to be a good receiver out of the backfield, you know, to, to, you know learn how to do blitz pickup. Um, you know, and, you know, he was probably put behind the eight ball by his high school head coach. Um, you know, as being a wildcat quarterback basically his first two years and not a complete running back. Um, you know, I think Robert Foster's, you know, he reminds me a little bit of A.J. Green from Georgia four or five years ago. 
Um, you know, he doesn't have the physicality of, of a Julio Jones, and he's never going to. He's got a, you know, much leaner, you know, body than, than Julio does. But I think he compares more favorably, you know, to A.J. Green. Um, you know, I think when you start breaking down those wide receivers, they all bring a little bit something different to the table. Um, you know, there isn't an Amari Cooper out there right now. But I think the one guy that could be that person going forward is probably Calvin Ridley. I mean, that guy is so smooth. He's so explosive. He's so, you know, one, two-step quick. And, you know, he snatches that ball out of the air with his hands. Um, You know, the only variable that we all don't know about is how important is it mentally for him to be as good as Amari Cooper. Um, from a work, you know, a work ethic standpoint, and Amari Cooper is on the record is saying that he thinks that Calvin Ridley is more advanced than he was as a first-year player at Alabama in 2012. Um, and, and you know, again, I thought it was a, you know, such a the biggest takeaway for me, you know, aside from watching that that offensive and defensive line break the will of Wisconsin. I want you and the listeners to put this into perspective. You know, imagine being Jalen Hurts, um, you know, Alabama's quarterback commitment, um, sitting up there in the stands and seeing Cooper Bateman getting to play a full quarter Saturday night. Imagine being Kendall Jones and seeing Darren Payne trot out there with four minutes gone in the first quarter. And, you know, him getting to play as much as he did. Um, you know, people want to, you know, you know, bang on Nick for, for not wanting to do home and homes and doing these neutral site games. You know, go back to the Michigan game in 2012 and chart how many players Alabama has pulled out of the state of Texas by going and doing, you know, two neutral site games up to this point. You know, they're going back next year for USC. Um, you know, Deontay Thompson, Sean Robinson, um, you know, Tony Brown was impacted by that game. You know, Kendall Jones, Jalen Hurts, you know, the list goes on and on. I just – I'm just, you know, more excited based on what I saw Saturday night, not so much on the field, but watching Nick Saban evolve as a head coach you know, we've talked about this before. He's never stayed anywhere long enough to be a manager. He's always gone somewhere and been a climber and rebuilt stuff. And I think now we're getting to see him stay someplace long enough where he stays challenged. That's his next, you know, mountain to climb is, you know what, when I came to Alabama in 2007, you know, the, the, the two guys out there that I needed to take down, was Les Miles at LSU and Urban Meyer at Florida, and I did that. And then all of a sudden, somewhere between 2010 and 2012, the landscape of college football changed, and you had Johnny Manziel and Kevin Sumlin show up. You know, you had Urban Meyer reemerge at Ohio State. You had Gus Malzahn show up at Auburn. And all of a sudden, bigger wasn't better. And it's been really... Uh, a unique experience and a very satisfying experience for me to watch him and Kirby Smart, you know, say, you know what, we need to go out and see what some of these other people are doing. 
I'm not going to sit here and say that I really like seeing those scorecards over on the sidelines for the plays. But, you know, Nick sent Lane Kiffin to go see Tom Herman at Houston. For people that don't know who that is, he was Ohio State's offensive coordinator last year. Um, He's now the head coach at Houston. He sent him to go see Tom Herman to learn how he was able to be a power run game OC at Ohio State. Those plays that you saw Derrick Henry score on Saturday night were the same plays that Tom Herman and Ezekiel Elliott beat Alabama with in the Sugar Bowl. And then he sent Lane out to TCU to learn the hurry-up-no-huddle aspect of it and and watching them try and mesh, you know, the hurry-up-no-huddle with being a physical offense and a physical run game Man, it, it, it's been really fun for me to watch this transition within the program for the last, you know, eight or nine months. And I really think we're in for a – and as Alabama fans, I think we're in for a great ride, uh, you know, going forward. I, I've had, a, you know, one coach on the coaching staff tell me um, from, from 2016 to 2019, if we don't bring home two national championships with the talent that we have on hand, and what we've got lined up to come down the road, we should all be fired. Well, that's a great way to end the segment, William. And obviously that also means footballscoop.com needs to check their sources because I don't think Nick Saban's going anywhere. But we want to thank you for joining us tonight on BAMS Radio and always bringing the heat as you do and the great information. And uh, just uh, we know the listeners really enjoyed it, as do we. And uh, we look forward to having you in, uh, on again soon and uh, just really appreciate uh, the knowledge tonight and uh, thank you for the segment. Hey, guys, I enjoy talking about it anytime you want me to and, and you know, hopefully the listeners got something out of it as well. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Appreciate you joining us tonight. Have a great night. All right, that's William Redfish Barger bringing the heat as always. Uh, it is a little bit after the top of the hour now, about two minutes past, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick musical interlude and then we'll come back with uh more information for you on bama football and other sports you're listening to bams radio a member of the bama sports radio family
Welcome back to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark from BAMAMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of 977 zone in Huntsville, and our producer in the studio from Touchdown Alabama Magazine. His name is Thomas the Wizard Watts. And uh, I have to say before we bring on our next caller on the uh, Big Hit Barbecue Hotline, I have to say that I, I spent pretty good money to see Alabama in concert this past weekend at the Wharf in Orange Beach in hopes of hearing that song, and uh, did not hear that song. I'm not sure how you go an hour and 45 minutes and don't play that song. Randy Owen, if you're listening, thanks a lot. Uh, the rest of it was pretty fun. Didn't hear Old Flame either, but whatever. Okay, well, uh, we're going to bring on a caller to the uh, BAMS radio hotline, which is the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check them out at BigHeadsBBQ.net. Uh, I believe we have a question now from Thurston from Hoover. You're live on BAMS radio. Um, Hello. Am I live? Yes, you are. Uh, I was calling to speak to one Carrie Clark. Is Carrie Clark available? Speaking. Hello, Carrie. You remember me? My name is Thurston. I met you at the Collins Bar in Hoover, like in the late 90s. I think it was like 1997. <laughs> no, never been there. You were a tall piece of leather, and you were so well put together. I I just knew that one day I would find you. <laughs> you know who this is, boy. It's me, Murph Baldwin from Saturday Down South. A young man that truly, truly needs Jesus. <laughs> I was living in Atlanta in 97, bro. <laughs> What's up, boys? Oh, you were right, man. OJ finally showed he could block. Congrats. Big ups to you. Thanks, man. Roll time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You seen those trap blocks, man. Hey, man, I just wanted to call in and, and, and shoot the breeze with you fools, man. I see y'all doing it big, man. Thanks to my man, William, there, giving me props on my articles and stuff like that. I totally appreciate that. He's, he's a hell of, hell of a dude to listen to, man. Hello? We just lost Drew. He dropped out for a second. But, uh... But yeah, Murph, uh, I've already talked to you once today, so uh, how you doing this evening, my friend? Hey, man, I've never heard this voice before in my life, man. Who is this? Some jerk. <laughs> Just ignore him. He's jerk name Mr. Robot. What's up, Mr. Robot? Oh, not much. I have thousands of windows that have been coordinating this show. You know how it is. Doing that, man. Where's Carrie? I'm back, man. I had a mouthful of nut butter. My bad. I thought Drew was going to ask me something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Murph, oh, okay. we're going to have your own... Uh, 
Hey, I'm back, guys. I had to I had to drop off for a second. I had sent Thomas and Carrie a message. But what's up, Murph? Nice uh, up, little. Uh, <laughs> as I called you earlier in the in the in the in the in the, in the back chat, Murph Barker. Uh, uh, nice, <laughs> nice job. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Dang. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up, man? What's up with the game this weekend, man? Y'all guys, y'all guys, ready for some some Smash Mouth football again? Yeah, I mean, we uh, it'll, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what how Alabama takes care of uh, Middle Tennessee State. What kind of uh, mental what, if they can mentally uh, get themselves back uh, into the grind, and if they can take care of business. I personally predicted fifty-five to three. I think they will. I think they're going to. Coach Saban said today that uh, he thought they practiced much better than yesterday. I think they. I think that this group's focused. I think they're going to play better. But I, more, more, uh, I wanted to talk to Murph about a couple of interesting matchups coming up this weekend. I know this is an Alabama show, but I think it will uh, kind of tell the tale to see what kind of seasons these teams are ha- going to have as far as and how tough of, of an opponent they're going to be. But uh, Murph, what are your thoughts on LSU, Mississippi State, and then also Kentucky and South Carolina? Okay, um, LSU Mississippi State, you know, I'm definitely definitely keen in on man. You know, I always say it, LSU is the most talented team out there. That's not named Alabama or Georgia, and it's about them. It's about getting back to basics, man. I think that with Brandon Harris at quarterback and them able to stretch the field like that, you know, they're gonna pound the rock with um, Leonard Fournette and, and Darrell Williams and, and Darius Geis and and of course Brandon Harris himself now being able to be a threat um, with his legs. I mean, that's a scary proposition on on offense for for anybody. Especially when you take into account that they have possibly the most talented receiving corps there is. I mean, all those guys are young, but man, you talk about Malachi Dupree, John Diars, um, uh, my man Travin Durrell, um, Trey Quinn, um, the tight end man, all kinds of guys. You got Tyron Johnson coming in, a whole bunch of four and five star guys, four three guys, long guys, but they just got to be able to work that short to intermediate game. So. I think that Brandon Harris is not a strength right now, but I think that, if, like I said before, man, if you use that vertical game to push to push anybody back, to push those Mississippi State corners back, then he can start using that that short to intermediate game, running running that quick game. If they get that quick game down and they're able to manufacture first downs like that, man, they're going to be hell on wheels. I'm telling you right now. And um, defensively, of course, you got Christian Lockature and Devon Godshaw, both those guys are the three techniques. One guy penetrating defense. I think Kevin Steele, just from the little bit that I saw. Man, it looks like he's re- he's ready to attack. So um, one series they was they were attacking, but we'll see about that, man. But well, those two guys are right up the middle with, with Beckwith, and then you got Jamal Adams, man, who's looking like a ferocious, um, strong safety there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on somebody's All-American team. He's he's a bad boy. Jalen Mills is out, but man, they run that big nickel anyway. You know, having those three corners. So Ricky Jefferson got a plenty of playing time. So we'll see, man. Got Trayvon, you got um, Tre'Davious White as a, at one corner spot. They're just loaded, man. Like they're just loaded. It's one of those teams that everybody always doubts, but then when they go and reel off a whole bunch of wins, and everybody's like, "Whoa, we knew they were talented." So I don't know, man. I definitely expect them to pull out the game against Mississippi State, but it is on the road, and they are young. So we'll see about that. And what was the other game? South Carolina, South Carolina, and Kentucky. I think it's intriguing because. Uh, basically, Kentucky had an epic comeback on them in Lexington last year, and, and further wrecked their season. But uh, this will be big because they had a, Stoops and those guys outlasted Lafayette in the first round. Stinchcomb has gone on record as saying Kentucky would be five and zero to win this game, and also beat Florida. Uh, but if Kentucky is truly back to 
you know, where they were under Rich Brooks going to bowl games every year. They need to win games like this on the road. So I think it's just really intriguing. Man, the next Kentucky game I watch will be the first. <laughs> I could care less about Kentucky, man. Kentucky and South Carolina, that's the game. Come on, man. Give me something better than that, man. What about Tennessee and Oklahoma? That's, that's a game great game to ask about. Well, I was going to ask about Tennessee, Oklahoma. I mean, Alvin Kamara put on a show. Yes, of course, he was against Bowling Green. Where is he from? Where is he uh, from, Kerry? Norcross, Georgia. Yes, yes he sir. Is. Hometown. And he's a really, a really talented athlete. And, but, of course, I think Tennessee's also got some issues in the secondary. And uh, Paul Feinbaum had a rider off from the Oklahoman who basically said if Oklahoma loses this game that Bob Stoops, this may be the beginning of the end. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Man, that what you just said there is a mouthful, man, because that air raid, you know that Baker Mayfield and those boys are going to be putting the ball in the air with Sterling Shepard and those guys. But, man, that's <laughs> – dude, I'm telling you, man, if if that's the case, and but Oklahoma's line is not up to snuff, you're, you're talking about one of the better front sevens in the country, one of the – I'm telling you, it's like a baby Alabama right now. All those guys are like little baby giraffes and stuff like that. They, they can't they can't stand up right now. They're, just, they're struggling to stand up. But, you know, once they stand up, man, they're just straight-up monsters. Like, I'm telling you, man, they are absolutely loaded with Shy Tuttle. And you talk about Derek Barnett coming into the nine technique. And you got Kurt Majit playing that strong side linebacker. And then on, on money downs, they put him down at the end and let him rush, and getting, collecting 11 sacks. Derek, Bar- Derek Barnett connecting 10 sacks as a true freshman. I mean, they're sack artists. So it's like they, while the, the cornerbacks not, may not be their strength and the secondary might not be their strength, their strength is rushing the passer. I mean, so we'll see a strength on strength. But it's going to be, to me, the other, the other way, you know. Tennessee is just as explosive to me on offense, or they have the ability to be just as explosive. And Josh Dobbs looked real good, man. He looked real good. He looks like he's really coming into his own as far as the quick game goes. We already know he has a pretty decent arm to go, to go deep. And they have a whole bunch of boys that can go get it out there. Um, when you're talking about um, Josh Malone, how about Jawan Jennings? He was a quarterback in the spring game. And um, he decided to make that switch to receiver, man. He looked real good out there, too. He had, like, six catches for, like, 70 yards or something like that. As a true freshman, that was a quarterback a couple of months ago. So, man, they can be explosive. I definitely like that run game, though, man. That, that's some really good stuff. And, that, and that's what Tennessee needs is, is to get back to the basics or to start practicing the basics, start running that ball, man. Give the ball to Jalen Hurd. He's a monster out there, one of the most complete backs you'll ever see. He can pick up blitzes. Um, he's great in the screen game. Uh, you can probably put him out wide and let him and do some stuff, man. He's six foot three, two thirty. He's not the most athletic guy I've ever seen, but the guy can push the pile. But then you got that lightning coming behind him and Alvin Kamara, who is actually a lot bigger than he used to be. Looks like he's like two hundred and ten pounds now, and man, he looked real good out there. So, man, I'm telling you, this schedule is, is a monster for anybody. Just just navigating this SEC schedule, period, man. Because you got all the teams that people would think you got seven to six teams like Tennessee that could have about five or six All Americans on it. That's that's just crazy. Yeah, it, it's a great point. I think it's a it's a uh, watershed moment, or it could be for Tennessee. I, I think I'm leaning toward taking Tennessee in the game since it's at home. But just a little what bit about of concern, as you round, said. bro. Yeah. Well, yes, Tamari, Tamari, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm just not. Con- I, I'm still not haven't decided completely because I just I thought Tennessee's defense showed a lot of holes against Bowling Green, and they're going to have to play at a much higher level. Uh, to beat Oklahoma, there's no doubt about that. But they do have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, and it's going to be very, cause very interesting to see if their O line can play better than it did last year because Oklahoma's 
front just basically control that Tennessee offensive line. But of course, Josh Dobbs is not playing at that either. So it's going to be. But I will say this: if Tennessee does win this game, just prepare yourselves. Their fan base is going to think they're back <laughs> on top and going to think they they're basically running the table and going to go to the national championship game. We'll see. I'm not necessarily. I don't necessarily think Bush Jones has them there yet, but uh, they're on the right track. And there's two fan bases that are like that, and one of them's Tennessee, of course. You know, I did a little bit of work with those guys there, and I sl- slipped that man. Was able to get on some some Georgia stuff, so I have to leave that behind, man, to do my Georgia stuff. But their fans are, whoo, man, loony, <laughs> loony fans. But man, they've had a lot of success in the past, and they feel that they can get there. And I think I think Book Jones may be that guy. Usually, you you at least got to give him credit for being able to recruit. And it doesn't look like that's going to stop anytime soon. So usually, man, in, in, in college football, man, it's about talent, about personnel. They're going to have that. So at the very least, at the very least, they can overcome their coaching, you know. And the other fan bases, another team y'all guys will play in Arkansas, super loony over there too, man. Straight Loonville. So <laughs> good luck with that, man. Don't lose the, either of those two. Well, Murph, man, we really appreciate you dropping in on us. It's always a pleasure to have you on and drop a little knowledge for us uh, because we all know that Alabama and Auburn should be playing scrimmages this weekend and it should be a time to play a lot of young guys. We just wanted to get your opinion on some of the interesting matchups in the SEC. Yeah, Georgia Vandy, but I think Georgia is going to handle them pretty well. Yeah, exactly. So I think Derek Mason is the one coach in the league that's already in deep, deep trouble. But that's another story for another day. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, I appreciate but, uh, it, man. Thanks, man. I just want to say what's up to y'all, man. What's up to my man, Kerry? What's up to my boy, Thomas, and my man, Drew? They're all like the same right. family. To appreciate me, it. So. Thank you, Murph. All right, take care, much. guys. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you. That's uh, Murph Baldwin from Saturday Down South, a surprise guest and always an effective one. But a special guest and a first-time guest is about to join us now. And I would like for Thomas Watts to introduce her, please. Yeah, guys, uh, I'd like to introduce Kelly Ward to the program. She is one of the big wigs over at the Crimson White, the school paper. Kelly recently uh, wrote a large exclusive, very long exclusive, very detailed exclusive on Nick Saban. Kelly, how you doing this evening? Uh, doing well, doing well. How are y'all? I know we pulled you away from studying, but for fans that haven't had a chance to read over your long Saban story, can you give them just kind of a synopsis of what it is? Well, basically uh... – Every so often, a coach will have a top recruit, and they will bring them in to talk to uh, Nick Saban, and he acts as kind of like a closer for some of these recruits. And so it's something that is kind of known, but not a lot of people know the extent of uh, how much he helps out the other programs. And so that's pretty much what it's about is how it started and what all he does for these coaches in terms of uh, acting as a closer. Kelly, this is Kerry Clark. We met uh, in New Orleans. Uh, I'm from Bama Magazine. Also, we've shared a few softball press boxes together. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining BAMS Radio tonight. My question for you, kind of expand on that, because I was aware that some of that was going on, particularly with basketball and gymnastics. But it, it seems like there is no sport that, that Saban will turn away. I had no idea he was helping tennis, for example. Uh, Kelly, what was the common thread that each coach you interviewed about Saban had to say about his help with them recruiting? Uh, I think, one, they were talking about how generous his time, uh, how generous he is with his time when it comes to this because he doesn't have a lot of it. Uh, but also just 
kind of how much of a team player he is. That was kind of what really came through uh, each of the coaches I talked to. What they really said over and over was just that he's a team player, which a lot of people don't see because a lot of people think the football coach doesn't need to be a team player, but they're saying that he's taking this time uh, to help them out when it's not as obvious how they can help him out. And Kelly, uh, this is Drew DeArmond of 97.7 The Zone Radio in Huntsville, Alabama. First of all, it was a great article. Uh, I know you got a chance to talk to just about every uh, coach on campus, especially all the big-time ones, but pretty much every sport. And I think it's amazing uh, that Coach Saban has taken the time in uh, even as far as Coach Maines and, and the Jenny Maines and the uh, tennis program to help. Uh, she basically – Accredited Coach Saban with helping her recruit uh, the the best player in the history of her program, and said simply that uh, Coach Saban uh, got her here. That's as simple as it is, and it just goes to show what's amazing is he can relate to student athletes and knows how to uh, to uh, to reach them, so to speak, in all these different sports, and not just, of course, on the gridiron, but uh, whether it be on the basketball court, the tennis court, um, softball field. He just has a way of reaching people, and uh, I think that's pretty amazing. Just kind of talk about uh, the being able to talk to all these coaches in these different sports, but how they Coach Saban is able to help all of them uh, better their programs. Well, first, thank you for saying it was a great article. But, um, basically, what it was is that they was it started out. Um, I started talking to Sarah Patterson, who has been there the longest and has seen a few coaches uh, come through. And so the first thing that really stuck out about what she said to me is that she doesn't remember there ever being a coach that helped out as much as uh, Saban did or while she was head coach. And then, of course, I talked to Dana Duckworth, who said that she still brings it and recruits. And um, when I talked to Jenny Mines, uh, she was – she was very, very excited about this story because she she wanted people to know just how he, he's helped out with the program because, I mean, she had uh, – I mean, it says in the article, but I don't know a lot of stories I've talked about, but she basically, due to just some unfortunate circumstances, had to rebuild the program when she came in. So for her now 10 years – or now 19 years after she came in, but he came nine years ago or so, uh, it's just a huge difference for her to be able to – to lean on uh, the football coach. And one of the biggest things that she said, and it was one of those that, you know, not everything can go in the article, but she talked about how uh, coaches weren't exactly jealous that he, uh, she doesn't like the word jealous, but a lot of coaches around the country when she would say, oh, Nick Saban is meeting with one of our recruits, she said, said that they were in awe. And it's just kind of one of those, the coaches really, like, it's, it's just – for them, it's a, a big thing that he does this, that he sp- he gives his little what little time he has to them. And so that's really one of the uh, bigger portions of this. But he also talked I – mean, he talked about this, and the other coaches talked about how he really does care about these student-athletes. They're not just athletes. I mean, even, even though you get big names going through the football program, there are – a majority of his players will not go pro. And so – a lot of this comes down to him wanting to better these student-athletes as people, not just players. 
Kelly, I know from uh, talking to you before that you are a Texas girl uh, that came to study journalism at U of A. It had to be a thrill for you to be able to cover the game in the press box in, in your home state uh, when Alabama took home Wisconsin this past Saturday night. Tell us a little bit about what that was like for you as a student journalist and also what some of your impressions of the Alabama-Wisconsin game itself were. Uh, it's definitely a really cool thing to do to, as a a member of the student uh, news outlet to be able to go cover these games. It's something, it's an invaluable experience that I can take with me as I, uh, when I leave UA. Uh, so that's really cool to be able to do. And I mean, I've been to New Orleans a couple of times in the press box there and in Atlanta, and it's just a really cool experience wherever I go. And you learn different things from regional media there and just uh, the national media that comes out. And that's always a really cool experience that, I always say that it probably wouldn't be – I wouldn't get the experience I get now if I went to a school that didn't have a uh, top five football program. And But the game itself, that was it was definitely interesting. Um, I didn't exactly know what to expect going in just because, I mean, you can watch practice all you want, but when it comes to the game, it's completely, completely different. And um, I, I think interesting is a really good word for it um they're definitely such a talented team but it was a I could you could see the team start getting a little frustrated with their penalties and just with little things that were going wrong but I mean it'll they have the whole season ahead of them to you know fix those or see how things go I guess finally name a quarterback um and it's just it's the first game of many and so it'll be interesting to see in the next three-game stretch here what what else going on this season. And Kelly, I wanted to ask you your impressions too because you've been here and, and I, I read, just reading the article there, you, you talk to so many coaches, but I, it's still so early in his tenure. But uh, you had, didn't have really a chance to speak with him and his impact. But it's obvious that Avery Johnson has. Uh, put a lot of energy and enthusiasm back into the basketball program, and then obviously, um, you know, it, 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 it's it's obvious that uh, the women's program is is uh, back on the right track. At least it seems that way with Christy Curry. Uh, but just talk about uh, your impressions so far of Avery Johnson, and could he have a similar impact as Nick Saban in kind of you know helping the University of Alabama's athletic profile grow? And uh, with what, because it looks like he is going to bring in potentially a monster recruiting class in his first full signing class come this November. But just kind of talk about, you know, with he he and Nick Saban, what what they what you think maybe they could accomplish together? Um, I mean, I don't really know either of them uh, personally. I didn't get Johnson, but uh, he definitely really has revitalized the the basketball program. I mean, with getting the uh, student section moved closer to the court, which is such a huge thing because, I mean, I've been to games as a student when I'm not working, and I mean, it's not that much fun to sit, you know, basically the rafters of Coleman. And so, and I mean, especially when they didn't have such a great year or it, not every week they're playing Kentucky, which was fun to watch, but it was one of those you're so far away from the action that him bringing the students down to the court is just going to make such a big difference. Um, 
it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see what all the program does in the uh, next few years. But he has been bringing in some recruits, and he just has he has the he has the reputation. He he knows what he's talking about. He can relate to these kids. He can tell them that you know he's been there. He's gotten to the NBA. He's coached to the highest level. That all of that, and so it's. It's very much what Nick Saban can tell these kids. He just he knows what he's talking about. Kelly, uh, getting back to football real quickly, uh, what were your thoughts going into the game about how the quarterback situation was going to shake out? Did you, did you have any predictions? I had correctly guessed Coker. I really didn't know for sure, but I guessed it right. But did you think it was going to be Coker? And then how did you think the guys that got to play performed Saturday? Um, I did think it was going to be Coker to uh, start out. It pretty much seemed like it had been narrowed down to the three who did play. Um, and so I wasn't entirely surprised by that. Um, I've kind of – I kind of just try to watch it unfold. I don't really try to predict it just because, I mean, seasons can change in a, in one play. And uh, But I, I, thought, I thought he did – I mean – it compared to his first start last season, it was you know worlds different. It was a uh, completely different, different player. Seems to know the playbook a little bit more, a little more comfortable um, out there. But I, I thought for um, for Bateman and Morris coming in that they uh, for coming in in that kind of situation that they did pretty much the best they could expected really of them like for a first appearance that was that was right where people kind of expected it to be kelly obviously um again the article you you wrote i, I it covered the full gamut but i think the thing that i took away from it is uh that nick saban uh, people talked about when he was hired back in 2007 there was a lot of consternation about how much money he was making at the time, which is well over $3 million a year. But uh, I, I go back to something uh, Robert Witt, who's going to retire very soon as the chancellor of the university, uh, said when he was president that it would be an investment. And it's been an investment that's really paid off in spades because of how much money the athletic department is making. And with the, what, with the, co- with, with the feedback you got from so many of the great coaches, such as Sewell uh, and obviously Coach Met- uh, Maine's the tennis coach, uh, or mine, excuse me. Um, but and obviously, uh, you, it, to me, it's just it's stunning uh, because they you referenced the 2012 academic year when they won the four national championships in the different sports. But you could even say that he's played a direct result in helping those programs reach national prominence, and that the athletic department has never been stronger. And it all goes back to one person, and it's Nick Saban. I mean, there was there was definitely a point that came across with several coaches. It's just the exposure that the program gets due to being on Sports Illustrated or uh, constantly being on SportsCenter or just ESPN in general. Um, I mean, it definitely definitely helps with, uh, with exposure with the entire department. And uh, there was I was talking to Sarah Patterson, and she did say that he helped with some of those recruits of those 2011, 2012 years, and that. Um, one another tidbit that didn't really make it in, but that one of her favorite moments was, or memories of working with 
Saban was uh, after the 2012 national title, there was a celebration held in Coleman Coliseum, and he came to that, and she said it was very special that he would come uh, and basically honor their achievement. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for being with us tonight, and uh, we'll we'll definitely have to have you on again as the season goes along because you're as connected at the capstone as any of us in terms of seeing practice. But uh, we're going to let you go because we have to sell some stuff, but thanks again for being with us. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly. That was Kelly Ward of the uh, Crimson White. You can follow her on Twitter at Kelly N N Ward if you want to see more of what she does with her daily life. But uh, like I told her, we do have to sell some more stuff, and I'm going to do my uh, Seat Geek read. For fans that don't know, SeatGeek is an Android or iOS app which you can use to find tickets to Alabama games. With big games looming against Ole Miss and Georgia, SeatGeek is the place to go for deals. It aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. When you're ready to buy tickets, just tap that app a couple times and you can snag a really good deal. There really is no better way to find Bama football tickets. It aggregates all these things and uses a technology called DealScore to calculate the best deals. It literally calculates what every ticket in the building is worth. And if it's a good deal, you get a little green circle. And if it's a bad deal, you get a red circle. Like we always say on BAMS Radio and my other show, Too Deep Zone, if it's green, it's good. And if it's red, it's dead. Make sure to download the SeatGeek app for your iOS or Android device today for all of your Crimson Tide ticketing needs. Also, if you don't have a smartphone, which does happen, there is a SeatGeek.com, so check that out too. SeatGeek.com, the best place for Crimson Tide football tickets. Thank you, Thomas. A wise man once told me that the two colors that the world revolved around were pink and green. Well, I and I will say this. Pardon me. I didn't mean to. I wanted to just, for on a lighter note, on Twitter, please follow her at Kelly N.N. Ward. If you say Kelly N. Ward, it's a Tennessee fan. I thought I said N.N. If I didn't, you I did say that. N.N. I okay. tried N. Ward <laughs> when you first texted it to me, and it was a Tennessee fan. So just watch that. Great job by Kelly in that segment. Very good job. We will have her on again later this season. And, you know, between uh, the James Ingram invitation by um, Murph Baldwin. Murph Barker. And, and Tom, I don't know what you mean by that. Are you compare him to Jay Barker? No, uh, Bob Barker. Oh, Bob Barker's like 90 uh, or dead. But anyway, um, <laughs> okay, I never heard him get that. Uh, but anyway, between that and James Ingram sounding commercial and then Thomas talking about tapping that out, I'm not sure. I really hope I can get off my laptop before I go to the wrong place tonight. But anyway, um, so we're back on Bams Radio talking football. And, uh, you know, Drew, just for the people in the Bama Nation that are listening, uh, obviously there was nothing to it, but for the record, at least for the media viewing period, which I think yesterday might have been seven minutes, Blake Barnett was not out there yesterday practicing, but today he was back out there. Do we know anything at all that we can kind of shed some light on that, or just we don't? Who knows? All I'll say is under the weather. That and, worked. Uh, and uh, he, everything was fine. That's what I was told yesterday. Uh, nothing to report. Uh, it's a, a lot of people were panicking, thinking transfer this and that. You know, there was I, I was getting my phone blown up all, you know, for the, a good portion of the evening yesterday. But Blake Barnett is fine. Uh, he was back out at practice, feeling better today. 
and I still think he's the QB of the future at the University of Alabama. That's all I'll say about it. He's a, and uh, and, and and I just think sometimes, much like uh, there was a, there was a small uh, a bit of consternation over Sean Deion Hamilton not being there Monday, but that was a funeral. So again, uh, just uh, it was really nothing to report, and that's why nothing was said, and and uh, just uh, a lot of people getting nervous uh, for no good reason, in my opinion. Well, I wanted to ask you because nobody is more connected with, in the media uh, to the Bonnet family than you, Drew. So thank you for clearing that up for our listeners' benefit. And like I said, he was back out at practice today, so whatever it was couldn't have been too serious. Another uh, positive sign uh, is that uh, in the Facebook invites that have been going out for the BAMS radio uh, gathering for the Ole Miss game next weekend, which will be catered by Big Heads Barbecue, our sponsor for our phone line, uh, Check them out on the web at bigheadsbbq.net. But Chuck Peak has sent out invites, and, of course, he allows us to invite people that we'd like to invite to the gathering before the Ole Miss game where he will be serving Big Heads Barbecue, which is awesome. But anyway, uh, Gina, Blake's mom, uh, Gina Harris, did uh, respond and say that she would uh, try to come by the tent, so that was cool. Uh, hopefully she can make that. Uh, looking forward to seeing her at the Ole Miss game. And... Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about Middle Tennessee. Uh, a couple of interesting points that I'll make before I turn it over to Thomas for a very quick scouting report because I know Big C is going to call back in about seven or eight minutes. But uh, to me, it's interesting uh, to have these guys coming in this week because uh, the D.D. McCarron entourage will be there wearing blue because Corey McCarron is the backup fullback for the Blue Raiders that saw some time in their game this past week. And also – uh, this is interesting to me because on my Friday Night Lights column that I write for BamaMag.com regarding prospects, rarely, rarely, maybe one time ever, do I write about invited walk-ons. But I did make a trip to ACA uh, when Barker Barino was a senior and uh, to write about him because I knew he was coming to Alabama and I knew he was a pretty good high school player. And his quarterback was a guy named Austin Grammer, who was a starter last year at Middle Tennessee, but got got beat out by the coach's son, Stocksville, who will start this week. But I feel like the game will get to a point where Austin will realize what I'm sure is a lifelong dream for him, which is playing in Bryant-Denny Stadium because he is the backup quarterback and he is a very serviceable college quarterback. And, of course, like I said, Corey McCarron is a backup fullback. I think he'll play too. They'll find a way to get him in there. Uh, that being said, Thomas, uh, it, it has been said by some people that the offense that Middle Tennessee State runs, which is a hurry-up-no-huddle, uh, is going to actually help Alabama's defense prepare for what they'll see the following week from Ole Miss. True, false, and what else can you tell us? I completely agree. Uh, I'm just going to hit you with some numbers real quick. Middle Tennessee played the Jackson State Tigers last week and beat them 70-14. to I mean, they really beat the brakes off this team. But what really stands out to me is Middle Tennessee ran 95 plays, or they have 95 recorded plays, and there were eight total penalties between both teams. So you can imagine it might get up to 100 plays. That's a ton of football for one offense. So I expect Middle Tennessee to try and hit Alabama with tempo, and I really can't underscore how important that is for the Alabama defense to respond to because – when middle Alabama is going to beat middle Tennessee, let's, let's just call it like it is. Middle Tennessee cannot stand up to four quarters of the Alabama Crimson Tide, 
But what they can do is be a poor man's Ole Miss or a poor man's Texas A&M. And given the fact that Texas A&M really dominated Arizona State, even though it was more defense-minded than offense-minded, you know, you, you've got to think that those two games take on a completely different level of hype. You know, obviously Ole Miss is Alabama's first big home test, which is the, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. So I look at Middle Tennessee State as kind of a primer for the Ole Miss game. What I'm looking for defensively from Alabama's defense, I want to make, I want to see how versatile the the defense looks. What do I mean when I say versatility? Are they having to sub a lot? Is there, and if they can't sub, which if Middle Tennessee gets into a rhythm, they won't be able to, are those players left in any sort of bad situation? You know, is, is Sean Dion Hamilton able to get out on a running back in a leak or some kind of bubble screen or some kind of tunnel screen, something like that. I will say Middle Tennessee did rush the ball 63 times compared to 32 passes. So that does bode pretty well for stopping uh, for, for the Alabama defense. But I just want to see. I want to see how flexible the defense is if Middle Tennessee gets any kind of rhythm. Offensively, honestly, it's going to be a lot of the same, if you ask me from what we saw against Wisconsin, but worse. I fully expect Derrick Henry to not play in the second half or maybe one series in the second half because Nick Saban's not stupid. He realizes that Derrick Henry is his bell cow and doesn't need him to get hurt against someone like Middle Tennessee. And it wouldn't surprise me if he still had 100 yards. So if you're going to the game or even if you're watching the game, this is going to be a how many nacho guys can Alabama play type game, but particularly on the defensive side of the ball, which is really where I'm going to be zoned in. The offense is going to mash middle Tennessee. Like they're, they're going to mash them. Just expect it. But defensively does the Alabama defense, whether it's in base personnel or nickel personnel or dime personnel, whatever, whatever is called upon at the time, are they able to stay with whoever their man is? If they're playing man to man, are their zones not, ridiculously stretched are they tackling are they short tacklers if you start seeing those things as a football fan you have to feel good with Ole Miss coming to town the week after that and I'll be honest I've said throughout the offseason that I think Alabama is going to beat the snot out of Ole Miss because of the revenge factor because I could see Kenyon Drake going nuts against Ole Miss but I'll have a scattering report for that next week but anyway you know that notwithstanding I think it's still going to give you – it has to give you pause because you haven't seen the Alabama defense stop something like that very effectively, at least this year. Is it possible? Absolutely. I would even argue that it's likely because you have a lot more um, – you have a lot more versatility on the defense. You have guys that are playing a, lot, a little bit lighter weight, and it showed. It showed against Wisconsin. You hope it shows against Middle Tennessee, and then you really hope it shows up against Ole Miss. So, you know, long story short – Watch the defense for Alabama. How does it handle the Middle Tennessee offense? If Middle Tennessee only gets like 150 yards with what they've got, that is an absolute win, and that is something to be really excited about with Ole Miss coming the week after that. I'm going to just predict 45-10 to 10 Alabama, and I'm also going to predict that Alec Morris gets to play most of the fourth quarter and actually gets to throw his first career pass at Alabama. I think you'll see three quarterbacks again this week. Drew, uh Go ahead and give us your thoughts on this upcoming game, three o'clock kickoff. Well, I, I'm predicting Alabama fifty-five to three. 
Um, I think those, they're going to take care of business. I don't think Middle Tennessee's defense will be able to handle Alabama. I mean, they gave up 14 points to a swag team. So, I just, you know, they're talented offensively. Stockstill's done a pretty good job there as a coach. Uh, but this is all going to be about Alabama and their mental approach. If they're into this game, I think they're going to dominate. Uh, I do think, I, and I'll predict the three points comes against the backups. I, I think the, the the first group can can pitch a shutout, even though this team is good offensively. But I also think that Alabama will beat this team up on O. I think you'll see a good two quarters from Derrick Henry. You'll see Drake get about ten touches, probably reach the end zone once or twice. Uh, you could see uh, Kenyon get loose via uh, the, the, a kickoff return. I think OJ Howard will be involved. They'll spread the ball around to the wide receivers. And I'm hoping that you'll see Jake Coker not be sloppy and be taking care of business so you can see a third quarter with Cooper Bateman and, as you said, a fourth quarter uh, with Alec Morris. But I expect a lot of people to get play in time, and uh, hopefully we'll see Damian Harris with a chance with uh, some running room. Very good point. Well, we've got another caller on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. Check them out at bigheadsbbq.net. Your friend and mine, a man I had the pleasure of sitting live in the studio in Greenville, Alabama this past Friday with, Colin Big C. McGuire. What's going on, big man? Not much. It was fun having you there uh, Friday morning. It made it, uh, I learned a little more about the radio station than uh, what I needed to know, so we know we can at least bring in a guest every so often. So you was, on, you was worldwide uh, the other day, Kerry, and, uh, and Drew, they was listening to you worldwide. Hello? Yeah, it was a, it was a privilege to be on with you, Big C. Uh, no Thank doubt you. about it. Uh, I had only had about four hours sleep because of getting in. My plane didn't get in until about one thirty ish and oh, had to set up my radio equipment for the, for the show tomorrow. But uh, it was still a, a pleasure to be on with you and Carrie. And, of course, then Carrie was back on my show by 12 o'clock. So it was a full day of rest. Radio. Oh gosh, you ought to be bombed out Friday, big man. <laughs> well, I, I did finally get a little bit of rest. That's good. Golly, I didn't know you was doing your show, your radio show from out there. Yeah, we we did we skyped the show. Let's see. Well, um, well, I, I saw a lot of good. What did y'all see in the ball game? Uh, I think it was neat that. Um, well, like you're gonna try to take the physical approach, which I like uh, on offense. Not uh, gonna be as finesse. I mean, last year was a little on the finesse side, but it looks like to me they're gonna be a lot more physical. And uh, and they uh, in the second half they just really just you know well interesting they had the ball I think five times and missed two field goals and scored three touchdowns. Uh, really, just put it on them in the second half. Yeah, and uh, I, to be honest, Big Z, I agree. William Redfish Barger was on with us for the first most of the first hour, and I totally agree with William. I was very excited about the whole team, except for Adam Griffith, and uh, that that was the only thing that kind of led me to pause. But I do think J.K. Scott will uh, snap out of it now. If he's shanking them left and right against Middle Tennessee State, I reserve the right to go back, but. Despite uh, the, the main thing that uh, that I'm concerned with is the place kicking. I thought the coverage units were pretty good on special teams. I think the return game will be fine, kickoff and punts. But just 
Got to see Griffith come around and uh, got to see J.K. Scott get it rolling. But other than that, I thought offensively uh, they played very well, 502 yards. Jake Cook very efficient. Thought the defense, 228 total yards, played pretty well. I'd give them probably a B-plus, and I think Wisconsin's a quality opponent better than the Louisville Cardinals. Yeah, that was a, that was sort of an interesting game. I watched that beforehand and sort of like tail of two halves in that one there, but we won't go into the public since this is an Alabama show. But uh, not, Well, now Big the, C, uh, I got, I, I, I'm sure they've made this observation in, in, on maybe on your radio show and, and or they are they going to, but I, what I thought, what I took from the weekend, it was very, very interesting was that and I never would have thought this and it's gonna it's just one game, but Jake Coker thoroughly outplayed who has been touted as a Heisman candidate from Auburn and Jeremy um, Johnson. No doubt. Well it looks like right I was reading something on Facebook and said somebody's already moving Derek Henry up to number one right now this week, some bravado or whatever it is that picks the Heisman trophies or make the odds on him, all of a sudden he's moved up. I mean, he was way down the list entering the uh, last weekend. But, I mean, I'd rather win a national championship. I'm not really worried about the Heisman Trophy stuff. Uh, I mean, that'd be nice if he pulls off Mark Ingram, but if he doesn't, I just want them in January to be hoisting up that big trophy one more time. Well, that is the goal, and, uh, you know, they've put themselves in, in position. Alabama's, uh, and all those people that make these weekly playoff predictions, Auburn's now out, and Alabama's now in on, on all of them that that matter, I guess. Uh, there's a few that still have Auburn in there, but I guess they didn't watch Auburn's game. Um, they played a team that was tantamount, tantamount to Kentucky in the SEC and struggled and you know, had they not dropped the ball on the, bound, on the ground and, and allowed a safety to run at 60-something yards for a touchdown, they might have lost. Uh, they're, yeah. they're quote-unquote Heisman candidates. Well, good uh, Lord, Joey Gallatum yeah. voted UCLA in the top three in the country because their quarterback, Josh Rosen, threw for 350 yards in one game. The UCLA Bruins, the only New Year's Day bowl they're going to watch is – is one where they're at a hotel somewhere else waiting for the Idaho Potato Bowl or something. They're not going to win a championship of any kind. And off of one game, Joey Galloway wants to rate him ahead of Alabama. That guy needs his head examined. The well, college football final has turned into a joke. I was about to say, that show is unwatchable now. It I tried un- to get jo- through it, and it was painful. I mean, Joe Tessa loves to hear himself talk. Then you've got uh, Joey Galloway, who's a moron, and then Danny Cannell, who's a schmuck. So there you go. You got dumb, dumber, and dumbest hosting the show. The three students. Now, what show is this? Because I don't watch it. I mean, y'all talking. Is this on the SEC network? Y'all talking about or on a different network? It's the ESPN College Football Final Show, Big C. It's uh, oh, okay. it, it used to be the Reese Davis, Mark May, Lou Holt show, and uh, yeah, it is taking a turn for the worse. Mm. That's bad. Well, I noticed now. I don't really know other than I'm real happy with how the team did, and uh, and uh, they should be. I think they're gonna win 45 to 14 Saturday. I hopefully, I hope y'all right that Alec Marshall gets some action in and throws a pass for the first time in his career at Alabama. But I also want to mention that uh, Talking Bama with Big C will be on at 7 a.m. at JockJive.com tomorrow morning. 
Hey, I know what I wanted to Thanks, ask you. Uh, are the numbers in for the first week of college games? Tell us about that. Oh, yeah, they sure are. Uh, now, somebody was asking me, excuse me, sorry about that. It's gradingcollegefootball.com, and what it is is a point system I came up with a few years ago. Now, I don't really have a number one, but two teams that are from the SEC got the most points is Alabama and Texas A&M both got six because they beat a ranked team, you know, is on a neutral field, but both teams on the neutral field is a home team either both on both sides. Both teams is a home team. So um, Wisconsin got minus two points, and Alabama got six, and A&M got two. And then, uh, no, and, and what's bad, Arizona State got minus five because at the time, uh, Texas A&M was unranked. No, they got minus four, excuse me, not five, minus four because – it was like they were the women. Let me think. No, they got minus. Let me think. I got minus. Four well, anyway, who's your, who's your top four teams right now? Well, I'd have to say there's a lot of things tied. See, these are low numbers. I'm waiting until the you know middle of the season we're really can give out a ranking. But I'd have to say Alabama is up there with Ohio State. Um, I'm boy, I'm judging this on performance more than the point system right now, but those two are in top two. And then I would not – I'd have to put – I wouldn't uh, – uh, TCU's dropped now. Baylor, you know, they played, you know, SMU, but I don't know about them because they, they struggled with them for half and then blew them out in the second half. I'm trying to think who else. I wouldn't put UCLA at number three. Uh, oh. Notre Dame looked pretty impressive, but I don't know if they're a top four team or not. Uh I'm trying to think. It was bad this first week of the season. A lot of these teams are playing all these nobodies. So they run up a lot of points and stuff. See, like Texas, Tennessee, I mean, uh, yeah, Middle Tennessee, they're, running, they're, they're better than Alabama on Russian defense. But the main reason why is because who they play, you know, playing uh, Jackson State. So yeah. right now the first week's really hard to judge much. But, uh, but I would have to say Alabama – and Ohio State are the top two teams right now. And I got a friend I talked to, and he thinks that right now they're the only ones that could beat them. Uh, he don't think anybody in the SEC other than Alabama would have a chance against them, the way how they played the other night. What do y'all think about that? Well, I had thought for a while maybe Michigan State, but they're going to have to pick it up. I know it's a long way for those two play, but Michigan State might not be quite as much as everybody having them cracked up to be. Well, I'll say what I said on my show today. There is no way in hell that Ohio State could go through the SEC West undefeated. Well, oh, no, they, they can talk all the, the the junk they want and talk about how good they are. That's because they play in the JV League where Purdue loses to Marshall. But I'm telling you right now, if they played in the SEC West, they'd take at least one ass whooping. Well, yeah, uh, if think, not more than one. I think everybody in the SEC this year is going to take at least one whooping. So I, I don't think yeah. Ohio State's head and shoulders above. No, they are not. They're a really good football team. And then I, and I guess the Alabama fans need to stop calling 12-gauge a, a third-string quarterback. He's obviously the starter now. But, again, he's good. you know, and Braxton Miller looks like really good. I give him credit in his first uh, you know, game as an eighth back. But they're not unbeatable. What's that said again? I missed that. Oh, you said they're not unbeatable. I, I agree. Yeah, they're they're, yeah, just, they're, they're not unbeatable. They're, they're a really good football team, but 
you know, I, someone called my show today and said, well, there's been someone saying that Ohio State would run roughshod through the SEC, and I was like, no, <laughs> sorry. Uh, they can continue to tell themselves that and, and stick the rod further up Urban Meyer's rear end, but that's okay because Nick Saban's already uh, run him out of one league, and, you know, he got Nick Saban in the Sugar Bowl, but we'll see what happens if Alabama can get another shot at uh, Urban the Great. Well, I, mm-hmm. I want to comment on that, Drew, real fast. What would happen to Ohio State is the exact same thing that's going to happen to Alabama. If you take the entire Alabama schedule and you say Alabama versus whoever, Alabama's favored. The problem is that Alabama is not going to be able to get up what is now for all the nine ranked teams on their schedule, or what what, what is now eight in the SEC. It's just you, you can't expect 18 to 22-year-olds to do that, even Urban Meyer's 18 to 22-year-olds. So I, I, I hear things like that, and it just absolutely tilts me because I'm just like, if you insist on being stupid, please be quiet, quietly stupid. Do not prove you are stupid by opening your mouth. Just my opinion. Moving on. Well, all right, Big C. We appreciate you calling us well, this week. And, uh... I'll talk to you Friday morning, as always. I'll, I'll get with you tomorrow find out what's a good time to call you. Okay, uh, roll tide, Big C. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Uh, now, uh, yeah. Roll tide, y'all. Roll tide, Big C. Uh, thanks, man. See you later. Uh, Thomas, do we need to go to uh, one more James Eagle commercial? Everyone needs to hear from Murph Barker. Here we go. Murph Barker. Because last football season, DraftKings.com crowned more millionaires than any other one-week fantasy sports site anywhere. And this season, the prizes are even bigger. You can start the season by winning $2 million in week one. Kicker for this is, there's no season-long commitment that comes with traditional fantasy leagues either. It's simply the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million in prizes are up for grab with $2 million going to the first place winner and $1 million to the runner-up. Now this is how it should be. You can play when you want, where you want, and with the players you want. Just pick up your players, pile up the points, and get to collecting on some cash. Get on over to DraftKings now and use the promo code BAMA to play for a free shot at the $2 million top prize in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. That's DraftKings.com, you hear me? DraftKings.com. I hear you, brother, man. And as someone who <laughs> used to sit in the dorm as a freshman because I didn't have a car and watch late-night commercials on TBS in the 70s, they were awful. There were things like uh, the potty rang. With five interchangeable stones, and then they had the mood ring. When you feel sad, it turns blue, and when you're jealous, <laughs> it turns green with envy. Well, that's the kind of commercials that that reminds me of. Thank you, Murph, for that flashback. It's been a great show here this week on Bama's Radio. A member of the Bama Sports Radio family, I want to thank William Redfish Barger for joining us hour one, and Kelly Ward, sports editor of the Crimson White. Check them out at crimsonwhite.com and read her story about Nick Saban and how he helps the other sports that Alabama recruit. But for Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, from BamaMag.com, wishing you good night, roll tide, and thank you for listening to Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Roll tide.